to be here, and I'm delighted to see all of you here this morning. I always enjoy coming and seeing your smiling faces. It's an encouragement to see all of you. <clears throat> As I was sitting preparing to speak this morning, I was watching you, and I thought how relaxed and peaceful it is here, and what a privilege it is to be able to come to church without fear of harassment or knowing that there is a government collaborator among us listening to everything everyone says and reporting it back to uh, the higher powers. I think that would be really stressful. We'd have to be really careful what we said. Um, so we're really privileged to be able to come and assemble here, and I'm thankful to God for that. Now, I've never really been afraid of speaking in public because I learned a long time ago that I don't have anything worth saying. So I try not to speak my own words and my own wisdom. Uh, Christ himself said that, um, Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? This is John 14, verse 10. The words that I speak to you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doth the works. Christ went on to say in John 7, My doctrine is not mine, but him that sent me. And he also says, John 12, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he hath given me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And so when we speak in public, we have to claim this promise that God our Father, through the Holy Spirit, will teach us what to say and how to speak. And I believe that he does. Uh, he give us, gives us the wisdom and the words appropriate for each situation. If we're willing to listen. And my wife's looking at me with a big smile on her face because... I think I said some things this morning were maybe not exactly divinely inspired <laughs> as we were rushing to get out the door. Um, so we, we have that option. In Sabbath school this morning, Daniel asked, or it was asked, you know, are there conditions for getting into heaven? And I think there are. We need, we need to, maybe I should let Daniel do this. What are the conditions for us getting into heaven? Change the heart. Okay, and, and do what? Uh, surrender our will. Surrender our will. Well, that's, that's the hard thing, is surrendering your will, because I always know what's best. And it's really hard to give that up. But if we're willing to give that up, God will give us the wisdom <laughs> if we're willing to humble ourselves. Now, I heard a radio sermon about two weeks ago where the pastor, it was uh, one of these mega churches in Orange County, said that we know that there will be no more prophets after Christ and that there will be no more inspired writings after Christ because Christ was the fulfillment of everything and therefore Christ completed the work of salvation, so there's no more to be done. But such a conclusion that there will be no inspired writings, no one inspired after Christ, I think is a false assumption because Christ himself said, I send you prophets 
and teachers and wise men, some of whom you will uh, scourge and torture and, and kill. So Christ was speaking in the future tense. So he intended to send prophets to us. Now, that opens up a whole spectrum of possibilities. It means that God can send people with special gifts into the church. In fact, it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Some are teachers, some are administrators, some are prophets. In fact, Paul says we should strive for the higher gifts. We should strive to receive them. And so I think that there are, I believe, Scripture says that there will be prophets sent into the church. That also includes the possibility that God can speak prophetically through each one of us. And I think that's a tremendous gift. He will give us, for example, consider a nurse working with a patient. I believe God is capable of inspiring that nurse with the right words to say to calm a patient down or to encourage a patient. Or a mother with her children. I believe that God can give that mother just the right words to say to inspire the child to help him to do better. Now that's not to say we do that as much as we should, but I think it's certainly possible. And we should strive to receive that kind of wisdom and grace. Now, getting back to this radio uh, megachurch preacher who said there'd be no more inspired writings after Christ, what he said without realizing it is that the words that he just spoke were not inspired. And uh, we should have really no confidence in them because uh, either he's repeating what Scripture says, which we, he was not at that moment, or he's expressing his own opinion. And if he's expressing his own opinion, we need have no confidence in it. So he just undermined his whole sermon by what he said. But I want to get back to the idea that God has inspired each one of us and specific members of the church with a message. And I'd like to talk today about the book Education. I'm a teacher and I have to teach, and every day I learn how inadequate my own skills are for the trials, the struggles that we face today. Um, the millennial generation thinks differently than we do, or at least than I do. And it's a real struggle to try to reach them and communicate with them. Now, this book... Ellen Wright wrote a book called Education. It was written over 100 years ago. And I read it about 25 years ago when I first started teaching, and I thought it was a wonderful book. But I recently picked it up and started reading again, and much to my surprise, I discovered it was a completely different book than the one I'd read before even though it was the same. And I couldn't understand why it was such a different book. And I was forced to come to the conclusion that the book hadn't changed, but I had changed. And now my understanding was vastly different than it was 25 years ago when I first read this book. 
But that's kind of an encouraging thing. It means that we're capable of growing and changing. The book hadn't changed, I had. My perspective had changed. And I read some things in here that really encouraged me, just in the first few pages. And I'd like to share them with you because when I read this, it, in a sense, gave me permission to succeed, to excel, to be successful, to be competent, to be wise, to be helpful, to be kind, to be all the things that I am not. When I read this, it gave me permission to become these things. And it was a real encouragement because, I mean, even today, all of us are, you, you do something at work and someone come up to, will come up to you and say, what are you doing? That's not your job. That's not your responsibility. Why are you doing that? And, I mean, that happened to me about, what, just a week ago, a week and a half ago, I was working on a patient. Now, normally, the doctors at the dental school don't work on the patients in the main clinic. Only the students do. So I had a patient that needed to be seen. All the students were busy. So I sat down and started working. And one of the senior members came up and goes, what are you doing? Why are you working on this patient? Where's your student? And I pointed to a student behind me who had been helping me, but she had two patients come at the same time, so she couldn't do two at once. And so I got chewed out for working on a patient. Now imagine this picture. A doctor working on a patient is being chewed out for trying to help the patient. The irony of it was just, I mean, it just staggered me. And so it began to make me think, are our ideas of education correct? Are we doing education the right way? So I was thinking about these things. I just got chewed out, and I was asking myself, what does teaching mean? And I picked up this book and started reading it. And listen to what Ellen Wright says. This is on the first page of the first chapter. And the chapter's entitled, The Source and Name of True Education. She writes, our ideas of education take too narrow and too low a range. Oh, really? How dare you? I have two master's degrees and a doctoral degree. How, how, you how can you tell me that I'm not doing this right? She goes on to say, there is need of a broader scope, a higher aim. True education means more than a perusal of a course of study. Now, where I teach, we have all these lists of things that the students have to become competent in, technical things. But she says, it has to do with the whole being, with the whole period of existence possible to man. It is the harmonious development of the physical, the mental, and the spiritual powers. Now, I've never taken a course in school on how to develop your spiritual powers not in any public school, and not even in any Adventist school. I think in Sabbath school, here we do, but not in our schools. We don't really stress that that much. And I think maybe we're falling short. It prepares a student for the joy of service in this world and for the higher joy of wider service in the world to come. Now, this is really an important it says, it prepares the students for the joy of service. I find 
that I myself am not useful unless I'm doing something for someone else to help them. When I'm doing things for myself, well, when I'm doing things for myself, I just get older and fatter, kind of. <laughs> but when I'm trying to help someone else, miracles happen. Like, I, I've mentioned this to you before. My wife wanted a garden. She asked me to put a garden in about six months ago. And she kept asking and asking and asking. And finally, I was embarrassed to the point. I said, well, I better do something. So I put in a garden, and last week, among many other plants, she planted some, she had some potatoes that were starting to sprout. She said, I'm going to plant these. So she cut them up in little pieces around the eyes where they were sprouting. Last Sunday, she planted them, and they're already about this tall, and they look about this full. I mean, they're huge. They've grown about six inches in a week. How can anything grow that fast? It's a miracle. I'm just astonished how quickly these potatoes and also the tomatoes. We put the tomatoes in, what, three weeks ago? Two weeks ago, and the tomatoes are already this tall. I can't believe it. I think it's a miracle. I think God blessed my feeble efforts. Now, I am not a gardener. I'm, I've never really put in a um, thoughtful garden. I've, I've planted a few tomato plants in the dirt. They didn't do very well. But this time, I went back to a technique that was actually developed by Ellen White for planting, where you put the soil in three different layers, and you put phosphate rock and peat moss in the first layer, plus a little bit of ground-up sea kelp for trace minerals. This is a system that she worked out. And then you put rocks over it, so it becomes an anaerobic layer. This is down about two feet down. Then you have a layer with, with um, um, compost and manure and a few other things you put in there, fertilizer. And then the, you have topsoil on the top. And so you have these three different layers. And we try to do this to a, a feeble degree in our garden. And the plants are growing like they're on fire. I have never seen anything grow this fast. So I was really encouraged to see that you can get really good results, even though you don't know what you're doing, as I don't, if you follow good instructions. And, and we were trying to follow these instructions. Actually, Ellen White's son had kind of written this down, and you can search this on the internet under how to plant a tree in the E.G. White method. And there's a couple of really good articles on it. And the trees grow about two and a half times faster this way. Uh, two and a half times taller in the same period of time. So it's a really incredible method. So I think this is an important principle we need to take home. True education prepares the student, that's all of us, for the joys of service in this world and for the higher joy of wider service in the world to come. Now, when we're of service, we're a wonderful blessing to each other. I got a phone call on Wednesday from the pastor saying he was going to be out of town, and he asked me if I could preach. And I said, well, you know I can't. I not. And he goes, well, you'll learn. You'll, you'll grow into it. <laughs> and so 
Um, so here I am, and I was really tired during the week. It was an exhausting week, uh, partially self-inflicted. I went to a dinner for employees, an employee dinner on Wednesday night, and they had wonderful food. I ate too much, and then I couldn't sleep. So I ex was exhausted the rest of the week. It was my own fault, truly. But So I couldn't, I just didn't have the energy to prepare. And so Mary Angeli kind of stepped in, and she um, picked out the opening song and, and got the bulletins printed, even though I was dragging my feet and wasn't getting. So she turned out to be really helpful, and I thank you for that. Um, which is a fulfillment of a phrase that I often use. No matter what I do, things still work out really well. So I'm, I'm thankful for all of your help and support in the church. But let's go on here. But remember that when you serve others, like I was trying to help my wife start a garden, God blesses your efforts if you're willing to follow the instructions. The source of such an education is brought to view in the words of Holy Scripture, pointing to the infinite one. In him are hid all the treasures, treasures of wisdom. He has counsel and understanding. So true wisdom comes from God. And I'd like to propose that each of you do a little experiment at work or when you're working with your children or whatever you're doing. When you get in a difficult situation, say a quick prayer, a very short one, which is, what should I say and what should I do? And God will answer that prayer and show you just what to say in order to encourage those around you. And because I do that at work, I, I, I work with students and they blunder, they make all sorts of mistakes. And some of the other faculty when the students make mistakes, they're really hard on the students. They'll say things like, are you trying to kill this patient? They'll say that in front of the patient, in front of the student. And I just kind of like, oh my gosh. You know, I almost, when the patient hears that, I almost expect them to stand up and walk out and never come back. And, and to tell all their friends, that student was trying to kill me, you know. I mean, the, the patients usually don't do that because I think they can somehow sense that the doctor was being overly harsh who said those things. But when the students make, when students make mistakes in front of me, I try not to embarrass them. I'll say something like, uh, I, think, I think maybe I've made a mistake here. I think this should really be, uh, it shouldn't be, uh, blood pressure of, of, of uh, 220, it's really 120. I think I'll just, I, made, I think I must have made a typographic error. I try to make it look like it's my fault, or I, I don't want to embarrass them, or I'll say, I'm so glad you discovered this. This will, this will help us to be able to take better care. So I try to say something to lighten the load, the burden of, of air on the students. And the students really appreciate that. That I, they sometimes will, thank you for not embarrassing me in front of the, the patient. So we need to be constantly looking for ways to make other people look good. Because God makes us look good. You have a question?
mentioned, you know, because it's the mistakes is part of learning. And, uh, you know, so that's why I try to tell him and, and encourage him to, to not worry about making mistakes because, you know, that's sometimes the best teacher. Well, it's better to make a little mistake than a big mistake all the time. Mistakes are part of growing. Yeah. I, I think it was Thomas Watson Sr., the president of IBM, says you can't be a success until you've made 100 mistakes. You, that's how you learn. You, you learn by, I mean, I had a student the other day, and they kind of bumbled through everything, and they made lots of mistakes on the way. But in the end, we got a good result because we're able to correct everything as we go along. And, uh, and the student said, oh, Dr. Trout, I'm really bumbling along here. I, I'm not doing a good job. And, and I said, well, you know, you remind me of a bumblebee. Because the, if you ever watch the bumblebee fly, sit in the garden and watch them fly, they kind of fly in straight lines and they make these slow, gradual curves. They're not maneuverable like a hummingbird at all. It's almost like throwing a rock when you watch a hummingbird fly. And if something gets in their way that they don't see, they'll just like bang into it. They won't be able to stop or turn quick enough and they'll actually collide with things. I think like if a dog is crossing their path, they'll just run right into the dog and then they fall to the ground and they get up and they start flying again on their trajectory. It's kind of a trajectory that they fly on. And, but the end result of all this bumbling, which bumblebees do, is a really sweet result. They make beautiful honey. So I told the student, I said, you know, you remind me of a bumblebee. You kind of bumble along and you run into things and you have problems, but you produce a really sweet result. So I'm going to call you Bumblebee from now on. And she laughed. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we all make mistakes. And our goal it is not to expose other people's errors. That's the press's job. That's the media's job. Their job is to, is to find the wrong that everybody else is doing, and blow it up in the press. Let's leave them do their job, and we'll do our job. Our job is to make other people look good. Go ahead. I, I was saying it's, it's the world's way. You know, and the Bible says you know, that Jesus is far from, our, our, God's ways are so far from our ways. You know? And the world's ways are, are that way. And there's really no love in it either. And there is no God in it. It, it is. It's godless. You, it says in the Bible, love, love covereth a multitude of sins. And so when we work with others and they make mistakes, our job is to forgive them and encourage them and pick them up and help them to keep going, even though they've made a mistake. I wouldn't have a job, you know, <laughs> and, and it's true, and, and, and the, student, the student was saying, you know, I've made so many mistakes today, I, I'm really bumbling things up, and, and I said, no, you're doing well for your level of knowledge and experience, and we can't expect you to do any better than you're now doing. You'll grow, you'll learn. Or I wanted to do 
Well, I have to disagree with you because as soon as I got baptized, I did everything perfectly. And if you don't believe me, just ask my wife. And you will. So why are you shaking your? Oh my gosh, I'm not getting any support here. But you know, we we it's Christianity is a growing. It's a lifelong experience. I mean, I read this book 25 years ago, and I got one or two important points out of it, and that. One of them was teach the students what they need to know. And I thought that was really helpful because I would go through textbooks and throw half of the textbook out because they don't really need to know it. It's all theoretical stuff, some of it, that they'll never use. And I would just skip it. I was a physics teacher. They don't need to know about quarks and leptons and bosons. They're never going to use those things. They need to know about energy conservation. You can't get more out than you put in. They need to understand those kind of principles. So that's all I got out. But now when I read this book, I am discovering new truths that I should have seen the first time, but I was not capable of perceiving the first time I read the book. We have to grow. As we grow, we become more capable of, of learning. I think Paul writes, we see through a glass darkly, but then we will see face to face. As we grow in our Christian experience, our abilities, our skills improve. And that really encourages me because when I look at myself honestly, look in the mirror and see retrospectively and look at all the mistakes I've made, it's pretty discouraging. I mean, when you look at all the mistakes you've made, you can get really discouraged. But... When you realize that God wants us to grow and to pick ourselves up. You know, the, the scripture says, if a man falls into a ditch and he's alone, how will he rise again? But if there's someone there to help him, the, his friend can pull him out. And that's what Christ is doing for us every day. We're always falling into ditches and Christ is pulling us out. We're walking with a friend. And so we have hope that if we make a mistake, that he can help us and help us to grow. Now, I want to read, uh, I'm going to skip a few pages here, and I encourage you to read this. I think we'll run out of time if I go through this sentence by sentence. But there's one paragraph here that really encouraged me. And it says, when Adam came from the Creator's hand, he bore in his physical, mental, and spiritual nature a likeness to his Maker. God created man in his own image. Now, there's another place where Ellen White uses a similar phrase, God created man in his own image with the ability to think and do and plan and create. And I think that's, that's a, a staggering thought, is God has given us the ability to think and plan and to execute those plans and to do things that are useful and helpful and a blessing. He's given us essentially divine powers that we can do things. We can imagine something and then actually bring it into being. Like it might be something as simple, and I use the word simple uh, probably improperly here, but to create a, a wonderful meal, which is my wife does all the time. I don't know how she does it, but she'll, on the spur of the moment, 
uh, create a meal for anywhere from 25 to 300 people. <laughs> and and I've, I've told you the story at 1.15 in the afternoon, we got a phone call from our pastor. I think we just lost our battery went dead, so we'll go, we'll go back to the mic here. We got a phone call at 1.10 in the afternoon after church, and the pastor said, this was another church in PUC. He said, I, I invited 15 or 16 people over for lunch today, and I forgot to tell my wife. And they're all here now. And my wife is more than a little bit upset with me. So I told her that, don't worry about it. Uh, Jim Trot's wife, Mala, said that she would do all the cooking. So they're going to bring the food over in a little bit. Oh, and here she is now. She just walked. Uh, do you need any help bringing the food over? So I said, no, no, we'll, we'll get it. So I put the phone down and turned to Mala and said, um, Mala, can you cook for about 20 people in uh, 15 minutes? <laughs> and she went, ah! And she ran into the kitchen. And she had that night before, she loves to cook, so she had made some palau, and she had made some okra, and a whole bunch of other things were just sitting in the refrigerator, already made. She had these big bowls of food already made. I don't know who she was planning for. And she said, all I have to do is make some rice. So she got some... Ben's minute rice and put it in the cooker and she had rice in 15 minutes. Put the rest in the microwave when we went over there. And the pastor was just incredibly relieved and delighted when we walked in with all this food. So I think God has given us creative abilities to do things that are, well, impossible to do. How do you make a meal for 20 people in 15 minutes? Well, Mala can do it. For her, it's easy. For me, it's impossible. But each of us has, has different gifts. Each of you has very, very different gifts. I think that, that Crystal, for example, is a really insightful Sabbath school teacher. She always has these, she says things, and I go, gosh, I never thought of that. That's really interesting. And Mike is always telling me how smart his wife is. And she says she's a real genius, you know. So I think that each of us has different gifts and different talents and that we need to try to discover what others' gifts are and, and develop them. Um, Mary Angeli has the gift of administration, which I certainly don't have, but I'm very grateful that someone in the church does because we need, we need all different kinds of gifts to make a church work. And she goes on to write, God has created man in his own image, and it is his purpose that the longer man live, the more fully he should reveal God's image. In other words, God wants us to grow and change. The more fully we should reflect the glory of the creator. All his faculties are capable of development. Their capacity and vigor we're continually to increase. In other words, God wants us to grow and to change and to prosper and to continually increase. In other words, it's not like the caste system in India where if you're born a Brahmin, you're a Brahmin forever. If you're born an untouchable, 
You can never rise from that station. That's not God's plan. God's plan is that you should grow continually. And I, I look at my, I, when we got married, I mean, I was clueless. I had no idea how to be a husband or to, you know, to be a good husband. And I looked at my wife, and I think we both have grown a lot. We've got, become a lot more forgiving and a lot more understanding and a lot more hopeful. I think my wife now gives me the benefit of the doubt. She will hope, or I should say she's praying that somehow I'll do the right thing. <laughs> Whereas when we first got married, she knew I wouldn't. <laughs> and she was always right there to watch over and make sure I didn't do the wrong thing. But now she's learned to pray and maybe hope that God can, you know, because she gets exhausted <laughs> doing this all the time. But so she, she has a little, so she's grown a lot, and I hope, hope that I have. Well, more on that later. But anyway, it says, vast was the scope offered for mankind's exercise. Glorious the field open to their research. In other words, what she's saying here is, God didn't put boundaries on what you may and may not understand. If you're interested in gardening, yeah, you can learn more about gardening. If you're interested in astronomy, you can learn more about that. It, all the created, all creation reflects the glory and the wonder of God. I took a course in cellular and molecular biology when I was in college, and it was a hideously difficult course. And the, when I took the course, the book was about this thick, and now the books are about this thick. And they want you to go through this in a quarter. You know, it might be 1,100 pages. I mean, it's impossible to read. The, the, you, a single cell is incredibly sophisticated. It's just astonishing. When a cell reproduces, the copy of DNA that goes into the new cell is checked at least three different times. In other words, each copy there's enzymes that compare the two to make sure that they're the same. The copy was done accurately. And if there's an error, there's other enzymes that step in that'll correct the error. And it's done at least three times that we know of when a cell reproduces. It's very, very careful to make sure you get an accurate representation. Now that flies in the face of evolution. Evolution says, oh, mutations are good. They bring about helpful change. But when you look at the way the cell actually works, it tries very hard to preserve intact the knowledge that it was given when it was born, when it was created. So the facts of the situation almost undermine evolution because the cell tries hard to eliminate mutations and maintain its integrity. But anyway, even in, in any field of study that you study, that you investigate, there's wonders of God's creation to be discovered there. I mean, look at a baby being born. I mean, that's the most incredible, miraculous thing. It just astonishes me. God gives women the ability. You know, God says God created man out of the dust of the earth. Well, he's kind of given women that ability just out of the the crops that grow out of the earth, 
He's given women the ability to create life. That's an incredible gift. It's astonishing. And I really respect women for that. I think we need to honor them and protect them. They have a, a divine gift. Well, the mysteries of the visible universe, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge, invite man's study. In other words, we should think about these things, investigate them, to learn and to grow. Face-to-face, heart-to-heart communication with his maker was Adam's high privilege. Had he remained loyal to God, all the world, all of this would have been his forever. In other words, he could have communicated, he could have asked God, how does this work and how do I do this? But we kind of threw away their privilege. Throughout eternal ages, he would have continued to gain new treasures of knowledge to discover fresh springs of happiness and to obtain a clearer and yet clearer conceptions of the wisdom, power, and the love of God. So God wants us to grow in our understanding. He wants us to have a clearer and clearer understanding of who he is and an understanding of his love. More and more fully would he have fulfilled the object of his creation. Now, what was the object of our creation? Bring glory to God. One of the things we mentioned earlier was to be of service to others. And this passage points out one of our objects was to understand the world we're living in, to understand how to create great meals or understand the stars or how a cell divides or how to drive a truck on a snowy road. You know, there's lots of things that we can grow and develop in. I think God has an object for our creation, and that object is yet unfolding. I think... First Peter points out, it says the, the prophets studied diligently and with the utmost care, trying to understand the meaning of their own prophecies. They themselves were growing in their understanding of the knowledge that God had given them. More and more fully would Adam have fulfilled the object of his creation, more and more fully have reflected the glory of the creator. So that's what one of our objects is. And I was reading this, I had a very, to me, a very strange thought. What does God really expect from us and want from us? I thought, you know, God wants us to reflect his glory and to demonstrate his love to the world around us. And so, in a sense, you know, they say that, that sometimes parents live through their children. They want their children to be successful. Their children's success is their own. And many parents try really hard to make their parents a success. Many parents don't, but some do. And their whole lives are wrapped up in their children. And if their children are successful, they feel a, sen- 
a great sense of happiness and accomplishment. And you've probably heard of the, the Asian tiger mothers, who these mothers who, when the children are three years old, they start violin lessons, and then they start ballet when they're five, and they're, 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 they're trying to develop their children and make them into something really useful and good. And they, the parents who do this seem to take a great deal of satisfaction in the children, children's success. Now, maybe they're overdoing it. We can argue that later. But we like to see our children successful, and we take great pride and joy in when they are successful. And also, also shame when, when they don't do well. We suffer when they don't do well. It's torture for us. But doesn't possibly God do the same? Doesn't he take joy in our successes? Doesn't he want us to be successful and to succeed, to excel, to be a blessing to everyone around us? And won't he take joy in that and say, that's my child? Well, he says so much in the Bible. Remember when the devil was tempting Job? When the, you know, the, there was a council in heaven, and the devil comes to the council in the book of Job, and the Lord says, where have you been? And he says, I've been ranging to and fro over the whole earth. And uh, the implication there was that, you know, man has really mucked things up, really, really done a bad job. And the Lord said to him, have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered how well he's done? And the devil responds by saying, skin for skin, touch his flesh, and he'll curse you to his face. And the Lord said, go ahead, give it a try. And the devil did his best to destroy, without killing, to destroy um, Job. And yet Job remained faithful. And I think that was reflected to the glory of God. And so I believe that God wants us to be successful and he takes great joy in our successes and that he will further give us if we ask and we're willing to use them and develop them, he will give us the tools, the opportunities to be a blessing. And so as each of you go out into the world and work with your family and your friends and in your workplace, I want you to be hopeful that God will bless you with the skills and the talents you need to be a success, that he will strengthen you and give you wisdom and understanding to do better and to succeed, and that he will make you a blessing wherever you go. And that people will be great. Even some of the people you work with will be grateful for what you've done. Now, that's a far stretch, I admit, because gratitude is not something other human beings are very good at. But I think of, of my own wife. My own she's always trying to help somebody. She gets about two or three phone calls a day from 
drowning ducklings who need a lot of help. And she's always moving heaven and earth to try to help, especially her 10 brothers and sisters. We just spent a week with a brother from Trinidad. Boy, that was exhausting. <laughs> um, and she's always trying to help people. And for years and years and years, there was no appreciation. There was always more, more. And it got to be really old and really tiring because she emptied her bank accounts and all of her resources to help them, and there was never a word of thanks. There was always scorn that she hadn't done more. But after 20 years of doing this, one or two of her brothers and sisters has really come around and has started calling Mala up about two or three times a week. Now, this is a grown man. He's, what, about 35 years old? And he's calling Mala up for advice and counsel. He's got two children. And Mala talked him into going back to college and becoming a doctor. He just started starting medical school. Did he start classes yet? Okay, he's going to start in a few weeks. So he's going back to start medical school, which is an incredible challenge when you're 37, 35, and have two children. But he calls Mala up frequently and asks for advice. Sometimes he even calls me up and asks, what should I do? How can I do it? And so he's starting to show gratitude. That astonishes me. I never thought I'd, I'd live to see that day when people would ask for my advice and counsel. But they do. And it's not because I have any wisdom, but because I can pray, as you all can, and ask God for wisdom. So I'd encourage all of you, Wherever you find yourself, pray for wisdom and strength and courage so that you can reflect the image and the glory of God. And I believe God will answer those prayers for you. And you will see it working in your workplace or in your own family. That's not to say you won't have 20 years of constant failures or ingratitude. You may. But there will be times when God will answer that prayer and you will see results. It may take a while, but eventually it will bear fruit. And it's a, it's a wonderful and fulfilling experience when you can see your prayer efforts finally bearing fruit. It's a wonderful blessing. And I hope that you all can enjoy that blessing as you go through your life. And that each one of you can become so successful that God will refer to you like he did Job. Have you considered Lillian? Have you considered Crystal? Have you considered Mike and Daniel and Gilbert and all the rest of you? Because I believe God takes great joy in your success, which you succeed by reflecting his image. May God bless you. We have a question.
closing prayer. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for loving us so much that you're willing to give us wisdom and skill and give the gifts of the Spirit as diverse as they are. Help us to discover which gifts you're trying to give us and that you want us to develop and cultivate so that we might be a blessing to those around us and help us by your grace to reflect your love, your mercy, your wisdom and strength so that your name would be glorified and honored and that we could please you and bring joy to your hearts through our faithful service. For these things we pray in Jesus' name.